Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast, member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. For more than a decade, marketers have struggled to tame the beast that is the marketing tech stack. Drowning in a sea of DMPs, CRMs, CDPs, and DSPs, many brands chose to go with an all-in-one platform, hoping to make their lives easier. However, what many of those organizations are discovering is that being tied to one monolithic tech platform can limit the campaigns and experiences marketers are able to create, with the tech dictating the marketing instead of the other way around. Our guest today has an alternative approach. Eric Feige, Managing Director at V-Shift, spoke to us about building a composable enterprise by decoupling the marketing tech stack and leveraging the exploding marketplace of APIs to create a leaner, more agile marketing machine. Let's start the show. All right, everyone, we are back in the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast virtual studio. And my guest today is Eric Feige, Managing Director of Strategy at V-Shift. Eric, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Eric, this is going to be a really cool episode that I think that our members are going to really sink their teeth into. We we talk too little about the tech stack on this podcast, and we're going to make a big course correction to that today. But before we get into that, could you please just tell us a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to V-Shift? You know, my journey has professionally has always been in solving big, big problems and basically breaking down those problems into smaller modules or parts that can be understood. And that's kind of the secret recipe to digital transformation or other programs. So in, in terms of my journey, I'm a former entrepreneur. I, in the very early days, raised a bunch of venture capital and had a startup of my own where I applied that trade of breaking things down and following a roadmap. And I've been head of digital for Deloitte, for KPMG, for Prudential, JP Morgan, a lot of big employers with big thorny problems. And really for the last six years or so, I've been working as the uh, managing director here at, at V-Shift really working with executives, problem solving, helping with their transformations, which would be relevant to our topic today, of how to de-risk, how to break things into more understandable, comprehensible chunks or modules, and then how to reassemble them so that we come out as a more competitive growth type of business. My focus is really working across healthcare, life sciences, insurance, and broad array of financial services clients. That's awesome. So you've got a very diverse, dynamic background in problem solving for some of the, the like you said, the largest scale challenges that you really can find in the market. Um, so this is great. And we're so happy to have you on the pod today. Uh, so we're going to talk a lot about composability today. But I just want to kind of level set. And before we dive into the concept, could you give our audience a basic definition of a composable enterprise just so we all start on the same page? You know, I'll answer that two ways. Why don't we start with an industry analyst definition? Gartner talks in their, their keynote and a lot of their research of a composable enterprise is an organization that delivers business outcomes and adapts to the pace of business change using modules and packaged frameworks, right? So that's kind mm. of a very classic industry analyst, mm -hmm. but I don't know a single organization that doesn't want to adapt and evolve and compete. So, you know, kind of that's a, a, a known and the, the organizations that I work with and, and uh, your listeners, I'm sure share that aspiration. 
I need to work faster and better. So this notion of a composable business is one that is more modular and more cross-functional. And so a couple of functions that we know need to come together are marketing and technology or marketing sales and technology, marketing sales product and technology, right? So it keeps on going. Mm -hmm. So those are the composable or the parts of the organization that need to come together. Sometimes they need to break apart and come back together. A composable enterprise might be one that is a venture capital-backed tech business that you see in fintech or healthcare tech. They're designed to be able to attack new segments of the market. And for the larger legacy companies, generally they're organizations that are trying to reinvent themselves so that they compete more effectively with those upstarts. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. But so in an earlier conversation that we had, I mentioned that um, I watched this really great webinar and we'll put a link in the the description where where you really go uh, at length about the subject we're talking about. And it really, at first blush, when you kind of look at it all at once, seemed like a pretty daunting task. But you explain that most marketers are actually already on this journey. Uh, could you explain what you mean? Yeah, I, I think the word, the part of that that resonates is at most, but not all, mm -hmm. right? So marketing is constantly going through an evolution. And when you think of, yeah, it can be daunting, but a lot of the CMOs and the, the heads of marketing that I work with are change agents mm -hmm. and they're the ELT sponsor for digital transformation and growth through digital products, digital campaigns and so forth. To do that, they're basically working with IT that might have had a very kind of monolithic approach to technology. And they're saying, hey, look, we need to partner better together. Let's break apart or decouple this website experience. So that is part of being composable is marketing organization kind of quote unquote owning the public facing digital experience mm -hmm. and having the autonomy and flexibility to work with a more modular marketing technology to basically design and manage, rebrand if you need to, and take these components, think of them as Lego blocks to reassemble them into new landing pages, a new digital package of a, an existing solution offering targeted to a new market, right? An international mm -hmm. market or a millennial market or whatever, what have you. So they're already doing it. And when you understand that you're needing to collaborate in a very much more modular, I have this, you have that, but it needs to come together, kind of lessens the scariness and kind of gives them a sense of, hey, we can do this more effectively together. Yeah. And I, I really loved hearing that uh, because it was like, I think it even called, like my shoulders went down when you explained it, because to your point, a lot of marketers uh, who are on those disruptor kind of levels have already dealt with that. And the fact is there's just an opportunity to bring that style of thinking and that style of partnership to a lot more areas of the organization and kind of get that benefit on an exponential scale. And if I could add, it's not only for the marketer, it's for the IT leader. And sometimes we help mediate between marketing leaders and technology leaders where a CIO or a CTO might say, well, you know, I own platforms, I own technology. And as your audience probably knows, the marketing technology stack now has like over 9,000 different 
parts of a very prolific and a bunch of different marketing technologies. So the technology leader, part of the argument is, look, if the marketer needs a landing page for a campaign, they need to integrate to a a marketing automation system to capture leads. If they need to do attribution or video services, do you really want core IT focused on that as heavy IT? It's overwhelming for the IT executive. So increasingly we're seeing that they really get this, Mm -hmm. that the partnership between the marketing function as an example and technology in a composable way that the parts are working together really works for not only marketing, but it also relieves IT of a lot of pressure. So I think one challenge that marketers run up against is uh, often they'll take a look at what their quote unquote tech stack is. And sometimes it's just one monolithic thing and it's very hard to start disruption when you're looking at such a big thing. So while you're making that journey to transformation, how can marketers leverage the existing investments in their company? That's a great question. And one that is important is uh, this notion of diversity of the tech stack. You know, diversity is also very good and technology is uh, among other things. What we've learned And what we hear from our client organizations is that where they put all their eggs in one basket with one kind of global consulting company and one big vendor technology, and we're going to do it all with a consulting partner that's going to do everything and one big tech branded software company that's going to do everything. The evidence is overwhelming that that doesn't work. So that's kind of that notion of monolithic. It's too big. It's too rigid. It's inflexible and really doesn't meet the needs of the pace of change that the marketer and the market Mm -hmm. are delivering to these businesses. So we look at this as one, recognize there's a reason why there's that many different marketing technologies and services, because they meet specialty unique needs. Sometimes we might call it the best fit or the best of breed for a certain problem, right? So basically what we advocate for is a business first versus technology first approach. And I know that may sound to your readers like a duh, of course, start with the business need, but too often organizations find themselves with, well, we need to squeeze value out of this one big tech vendor Mm -hmm. and the big systems integrator we're working with says that this is what we need to do. Fact is that big systems integrator makes a lot of money doing complex implementations of something that's very complex and cumbersome. So modularity, the current state of technology allows for these application interfaces or these connectors to work much more easily together. So you get the best fit that comes together. Now to answer your question, and I'm sorry for taking so long on this, Mm -mm. is many companies already have a sunk cost, a big investment in back office technologies. It might be a records management system or an old fashioned kind of content management system. Often what we say is these composable technologies, and let's get specific, like a headless content management system, which from a technical term means that it's a very rudimentary but stripped down content publishing capability that can coexist through the APIs to any front end, any browser, to a mobile device, but it can also plug in more deeply to that sunk cost monolithic technology. 
far too often we see organizations that say, well, we can't evaluate this new composable technology. Why? Because we're trying to squeeze value out of some legacy technology that we bought 15 years ago. That's a surefire recipe to say you are not composable and you're not going to keep up with the pace of change. So it's the integration that really is quite important here. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's, you almost get to the point of where you're doing business on the platform's terms, and that can't be what anybody wanted or intended. So I think, you know, uh, no matter what kind of growing pains or initial conversations that need to be had, I think really, you know, like you said, business first, not technology first. Everybody's like, yeah, of course. Easier said than done. I mean, that's really, you know, when you, you have to get everybody looking at the big picture for them to really a lot of times agree on that. And I would actually love to to briefly talk about that. Okay, we we recognize that a composable enterprise is going to be just more agile for the changing times, more specified to what we exactly want to do with our activations. Who oversees this transition? Is it marketing? Is it IT? Is it somebody else, operations? Who Who should be directing this orchestra? I'll answer that two ways. Generally, it should almost always be the non-IT executive team member in charge of transformation. I'm careful not to say digital transformation, but let's just say growth mm -hmm. and the evolution of the business. IT has a, an important seat at the table, sometimes as a co-pilot or navigator, but to be a composable business really requires that you drive from the business need and Michael, reiterating what you said, if you're a composable business, the technology adapts to what the user and the market needs, not the other way around where people's jobs and workflow changes to the requirements of the technology. So it should always be a business, non-IT driven program, often for market-focused, growth-focused organizations, it's the chief marketing officer that has a special mandate around digital, digital marketing and digital products. In some cases, it could be the chief customer officer. Mm -hmm. It could be the chief revenue officer. It could be the experience officer. Mm. But generally it's gonna be in those executives whose departments and investments are more intimately touching the market and the customers or the clients. The Beyond Profit Podcast is part of ANA's Center for Brand Purpose. Host Ken Bolyu serves up inspirational and insightful interviews with today's foremost leaders in the purpose movement. This podcast will help you learn about the power of purposeful marketing and why being a force for good can be a game changer in a competitive marketplace. Check out ANA.net slash podcast for more. I, I think that that's completely spot on. And, you know, it's what marketers have been hearing for a long time. They need to get more within the business. The business needs to drive your marketing activations versus, you know, a great piece of creative that's not necessarily lining up to your prioritized business needs. It's the exact same thing in the tech world. Best in class, whatever is no use to you if it's not doing exactly what you need to do. And I've seen it and heard about it too many times where from the ideation to what you actually end up on, you make so many compromises that 
the original idea. It's just, it doesn't look anything like what the intentions were, what that business drive was. So I, I think that that's a really, uh, I think it's spot on. I couldn't agree more with you. So we're talking about being a composable enterprise. You've listed out uh, some of the more obvious reasons why this is kind of the, the right way to go or at a very effective way for a lot of brands. But can you really kind of point out some key benefits, uh, really lay it out for our members, some key benefits of becoming a truly composable enterprise? In terms of those benefits, the way you describe market activation, that's an important to have that, that there's something that's activated, a new product, a website, some growth campaign within these benefits. So number one, time to market, right? Mm -hmm. Market activation, we got to do it this quarter, not next year. The timing is right. So the ability with the modular approach is that the decision makers or potentially the people that can say no to the market activation can more quickly see the puzzle pieces interlocking, the Lego blocks being constructed in a kit. So the time to market is I can see it. I see how it's going to deliver on the business outcome. Yes, let's get that done in a matter of weeks instead of quarters. Time to market, huge benefit. Two is adaptability and agility, right? Plans change. Pandemics happen. You know, economic conditions change. So the ability to then say, ah, you know what? Our market activation was supposed to be X. It's now Y. We need to change midstream. The more modular approach versus a monolithic, all one thing that you can't really pull the, the cord on the subway or the train. You can keep moving and be uh, very adaptable and flexible. The more adaptable a business and, and the talent within that business can be, the more competitive they are, right? Mm -hmm. Cost savings, composability. And we believe here at B-Shift that these cost savings are going to continue to grow bigger and deeper. The cost of technology of this more modular, headless, composable technology is much less expensive, but there's more of it. So it's less expensive, but if you have the expertise to put the parts back together, that means that you're saving more money in the context of the market activation to produce better content, mm -hmm. really to add more to your paid media acquisition strategy, less on the technology and the platforms and more on reaching the marketplace. Yes. And I'm going to just round it up with other business benefits. Hit me, hit me. I just I had to say amen to that one. Yeah. Employee satisfaction. You mentioned that non-composable businesses have some of their workforce spending hours in their day doing work to conform to the way the software, the technology was designed. No one likes that. That's not value added. I'm not ideating or creating or innovating. So the satisfaction of the modular approach is, hey, let's get you on that brainstorm project or that innovation project. And you're, let, you're spending less time kind of on mundane technology, monolithic type of work. Vendor lock-in is a big risk. So we're talking here about the business benefits, but it's the freeing up or the liberation of the team to say, you know what, we're, we're not locked in to one way of doing it or to using a more monolithic approach. We have freedom of choice and we're not locked in. And then lastly, I, I really like this, and we're seeing this a lot with more of our innovative clients, it's preservation of intellectual property. Mm. And what I mean by that is your brand and your brand equity that you've built up, your messaging, your content, 
your business rules in a new mobile app or whatever it may be, you're able in this composable model to really protect and amplify your intellectual property because you're spending less time on the more modular technology that's a little bit more commoditized and you're able to spend more time on how you engage the business rules, the proprietary algorithm. So those are, are kind of a rundown of the business benefits and getting back to your question of who should be driving the programs. That's uh, probably a big part of the justification for having a business driven executive who basically is tied to the, the board, the CEO or president and other financial reportings on organizational goals to be able to take those business benefits and say, hey, we're beginning to do this in a more repeatable way. What if we did this across our business, right? Mm -hmm. What if we're more composable, more agile, quicker to market? Boy, that would make a, a pretty big difference, not only in market valuation, but the valuation or the value of that company and its, uh, amongst its peers. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. And I really like that you kind of gave a really multi-dimensional way of looking at this because every, you know, every enterprise is going to, one of those things you just mentioned is their primary, is very likely their primary challenge. Uh, so there are a lot of different ways, you know, a lot of our listenership, their job is kind of arguing up these innovative ideas and just that there are so many ways you can approach uh, composability, uh, I think is, is just extremely valuable for our listeners. So thank you very much for laying it out like that. Great. So Eric, before we go to the questions that we ask all of our guests, if folks want to know more about V-Shift, want to hear more from you, uh, where can they go? You know, the, the easiest two methods is go to vshift.com. And I would also recommend on LinkedIn, follow our V-Shift LinkedIn page. We publish a lot of thought leadership and provide points of view similar to what we're talking about. So those would be two uh, kind of initial ways of connecting. Um, we ask this of every single podcast guest and we kind of leave it open on purpose. Eric, what are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion? You know, it's fundamentally a critical and important value for me. When we started out the conversation, I talked a little bit about my journey. I grew up in a multicultural, multilingual household. I grew up in Venezuela and South America. So in um, moving to the United States at a young age, diversity of thought and being able to really understand different perspectives is something that is kind of ingrained. And I think why I've gravitated to complex problem solving throughout my career. Further, I'm a board member and an advisor to a DEI analytics and technology company, Translator, translator.company's website. And they're really helping organizations go through fundamental culture change, sustainable culture change in their organizations. You know, of all the opportunities, I'm super proud to be a board member and an advisor because DEI is that important of a, of a value and, and topic. That's awesome. That's just, you've, you've kind of really lived a life imbued by it. So that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And probably a very big reason of where you, how your journey's taken you to, to the places it's taken you. All right. So I've been nice so far, but this is the question capital T capital Q Eric Feige, managing director of strategy at V shift. 
what is your favorite album of all time and why? You know, that one's a tie for me. Oh, well, we're about to break it on the podcast today. Okay, but <laughs> I, I have to. But you can please, I want to hear both. Here, here, here's the tie. And I've thought about, you know, if I'm stranded on a deserted island, mm-hmm. the albums that I could listen to nonstop are U2, Joshua Tree, mm. and Bob Marley and the Whalers compilation album. Ooh. So it is a compilation album, so it may not be a pure album in that sense. I know, but it's so but both of them I can listen to nonstop. Uh, and if I had to have one, I would say Legend gets the single vote. You know, I, I, it's, it's probably the most popular answer on this podcast. Is we've it? Had at least we've had at least three folks. I'm not sure anybody's even doubled up. I, it was my entire from like 14 to 16. It was what I listened to. So. I would probably be a stickler on any other compilation album, but you're hundred percent in. You're good Legend. with me on that one. Great. Yeah. Great. Great. Couldn't agree more. No notes. Five out of five. Excellent selection. Um, so let's bring it up to the current time. What are you listening to right now? Whether it's a song, an artist, a podcast, maybe even a book. Uh, what's keeping your interests these days? You know, like, like everyone else, I've turned into a podcast junkie mm-hmm. on this topic. The Economist has a great podcast series called Thinking Inside the Box. The episode is called Thinking Inside the Box, the story of shipping containers. Mm. And we reference kind of innovation within this series called Game Changers from The Economist. So Game Changers is a podcast that I would recommend any of your listeners to subscribe to and listen. It's all about problem solving, a lot about the topics, but in a very relatable historical way. Really to modern times, I recently saw the movie Elvis, the Baz Luhrmann movie. Mm -hmm. Have you seen it? I have not yet. What did you think? You know, it's not for everyone. uh, It's Baz Luhrmann. (laughs) Very stylistic, but boy, I thoroughly enjoyed it Mm -hmm. to the point that I also have it in my Spotify podcast rotation because it's a mix of the the classics the pre-elvis blues and gospel but also rap and modern hip-hop in that Baz Luhrmann diverse style so as a movie and as a soundtrack very very interesting and very unique very cool very good yeah I've heard this uh some of the soundtrack and it is really it's just very, very interesting. It reminds me of a, a mixtape that was used only Bob Dylan, Fela Kuti, and Bob Marley songs in a modern hip hop way. And it gave me that kind of vibe where, it, yeah, it's a very unique sound. Uh, I, I can recommend checking out the soundtrack and Eric is recommending for a, a unique entertaining evening, checking that out. It's definitely on my list of to-dos. You know, one one thing and uh, my... One of my colleagues was just re- reminding me. So I, I foster dogs. My family, we fostered 17 dogs. Oh my, that's amazing. The current name of our Appalachia puppy is Elvis. So um, ah. I, I must also say, because of the namesake, the, the little puppy running around our household will be adopted with his forever home in uh, just uh, about 48 hours. The movie also strikes at, you know, the namesake of my my foster pup. That's that's an absolutely adorable factoid to end on. Perfect. Eric, 
Thank you so, so much. This has been an illuminating episode of the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures Podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.